Bryce Eddy here with Liberty Station, where we are fighting to be a threat to the Great Reset. And speaking of that, I have a wonderful guest today, Jennifer Van Lahr from Red State, who is an investigative journalist breaking all kinds of stories all the time and working on things that I can't even tell you that are in the pipeline. So, Jennifer, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. So this is take two of this uh, actual episode because... We had a great tragedy, and our Telecaster, that is the complicated machine that uh, records all this stuff and makes all of this possible, wet the bed on us. <laughs> and our fabulous episode got lost to history. And, you know, we just Tragic. we remember how good we were. Right. But um, you nobody else gets to see that other than us and Eric, the engineer. But we were fabulous. And he can't even make out what we said, so. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so this is take two. But we, in our um, episode that we originally recorded, that we were you know doing our, our second go around here, it, um, we talked about how you've been out there doing the Lord's work, and you were the one that really broke the story in regards to Barbara Farrar um, in L.A., mm -hmm. um, who is the uh, COVID czar there, that um, was about to mask everybody up again until you released the information that it was her daughter that did the study that so many people relied upon to mm -hmm. show the efficacy of masks. So let's uh, tell that story. Okay, so she, uh, Barbara Ferrer, has a daughter, Caitlin, but her last name is Barnes, the daughter, because that's her husband's name. So she can kind of fly under the radar as far as being Barbara's daughter, you know, and she she doesn't look like her either, so, you know, there's that. She doesn't look like death? No, she does she not. She looks healthier? <laughs> she okay. does. So she is a communication specialist and got a job with L.A. County Office of Education at the end of 2020. So when her mom was already the uh, public health director and when they were already getting CARES Act funds and, you know, you need communications people in the school to communicate why it's good that they're forcibly masking your kids when it's 100 degrees out. Right. On the on the um, playground. So anyway, uh, Caitlin partners with some public health people, her mom's employees, to do a one-page study that ends up being published at the CDC that basically concludes that all of this masking and all of the layered prevention is what they call it, uh, that it worked to reduce community transmission. And seriously, like in high school, I would have done more involved papers than what this thing was. Right. You could say it was two pages if you count all of the, uh, the the graph that's half of a page and all of the acknowledgments. Yeah, they should have taken a page <laughs> out of my high school career and double spaced and, you know, right. created the, the word kerning to be a little wide, you exactly. know, all that stuff. They could have stretched it out to be two and a half pages. Right. You know, and at the bottom, there's a little thing that says no conflicts of interest noted. So she didn't disclose, hey, this is my mom's, you know, I'm reporting on my mom's uh, project here. And maybe it's a good thing for her career if it works. Uh Barbara Ferrer's employees on the study didn't say, oh, hey, I'm working with my boss's daughter, so obviously I have to make her look good. Those are things that should have been noted within that. Right. But they weren't. Yeah, even if uh, the conclusions made any sense. Um, right. Right. The fact that they don't make any sense makes it worse. Right. Because the time period they were studying, not a lot of kids were in school in L.A. at the time. So their sample size just really skewed and different. So anyway, the study comes out in August of 2021, and I want everyone thinks California's uh, wacky, and we are. I'm not going to dispute that yeah. in any way. Uh, but they say, okay, well, you guys have this woman. That's not our problem. Well, it is, because the very day that this came out, it was listed 
by Rochelle Walensky at the White House as, oh, hey, we have a whole brand new study out of L.A. County showing that masks in schools work. So we're recommending for this next school year that all of you nationwide mask your kids inside. So this did have nationwide ramifications. Yeah. um, Now, talk a little bit about some of the motivations for this, because that's what I'm I'm trying to figure out with this all the time. I mean, we know that a big big portion of the population um, adopted masking, um, you know, originally the the idea, of course, you know, hey, you're going to save grandma. Then it became the um, MAGA hat of the left. Uh, That's a great way to put it. Yeah, well, I I wish I was the original uh, genius behind that, but that's really what it became. Mm -hmm. Um, It became a way to signify that you're down with saving people's lives. Right, you're a a good person. It's a huge virtue signal. Yeah. And, And those of us that are like, I'd rather breathe, thank you, and I don't want to mask my kids. You know, we were getting the strange looks, how dare they? Yeah. Um, but but what talk a little bit about the motivation. Well, part of the motivation has is the teachers' unions. And I don't think that the teachers' unions really believe that this works either. It's just one other way that they can have control over school, over kids, over politicians, over spending that COVID money. Yeah. And so oddly, these uh, these mitigations that Ferrer put in place and they talked about in the study are exactly what the uh, UTLA, the LA Teachers Union, wanted in their contract. It's just funny. I mean, it has to be a huge coincidence. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, so going, going to the teachers, the teachers, um, a lot of them were really evil in this whole entire thing. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, um, and I've said this on the show, and I think this is common to all professions, in every profession on the planet, um, none of them are all heroes, but Mm-mm. but there are certain professions that we elevate to right. hero status so that they don't get any criticism, right? You put them on this pedestal, and then you can't say, well, what the, wait, there's some bad ones out there. Right. And, and we do that with, you know, uh, first responders. We do that with teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the truth is, is that you have a whole bunch of them. The vast majority of them are mediocre. Right. Right? right. Or, you know, or just passable, average, whatever you want to call it. They're basically getting the job done. They're getting the job done, basically. Then you have some tr- that are truly awful, and it's and it's mm-hmm. some of them are truly awful, and you know maybe wicked people, maybe they're wrecking your kids. Right. And then you have a very few that are absolutely amazing and great. Well, when you have a bunch of them being average or mediocre or just basically getting the job done, and mm-hmm. now COVID comes along, and they have this huge extended vacation, <laughs> right? Right, right. And then you say, all right, guys, now it's time to get back at it. Mm-hmm. That And that group, oh, no, what are you talking about? We're terrified. Right. These kids, they are um, vectors of disease, but and we're all going to die. Target, you know, yeah. and <laughs> they're okay with that. Yeah, we're all going <laughs> to die. You know, they, they you know right. lay that out. And then they get there, then they don't go back to back to work. Mm-hmm. And then they go, don't go back to work for another extended period of time. You know? Right. And then when they come back, they're putting all these provisions in. Well, we want this. We want that. We want masking. We mm-hmm. want this. And part of that, I believe, was to further kick that can down the road. Right. You know, then they get to do Zoom in their pajamas, go through the motions even more. Mm-hmm. Right. And they get to extend that out until finally they get dragged back into the classrooms. Right. I mean, and even if, um, so my youngest was still in high school when this whole COVID thing happened. And so even when they went back, it was like two and a half hours a day, yeah. like two or three days a week. So yeah. it was very, I don't think until this school year, everyone was back full time. Right. 
And so of course they want to extend that as much as they can. And I, I respect teachers. I had, I'm actually still in touch with one of my favorite teachers from growing up. That was a huge um, impact in my life. But some of them have been really terrible, especially during this COVID. We yeah. found like through many people, you give them a little ounce of authority and they are just off to the races. Well, and then these parents started to see what was going on mm-hmm. over Zoom and what these teachers were saying right. and what they were actually teaching. And, and, you know, look, teaching anything or even having meetings over Zoom is not the same, right? And right. so my heart goes out to those good teachers even that were struggling with, okay, how do I do this now? Right. But what it did do is expose a lot of what they were doing in the classrooms and a lot of what they were saying to the kids and, mm-hmm. and some of the inadequacies of what was being taught and all that. So, I mean, it was, it was, um, I think it, you know, they shot themselves in the foot. They really did. And, uh, now they're trying to, um, to do this still within LA County. They still want kids that have been exposed for 10 days to mask indoors. Like the way that COVID is right now, we're probably all exposed every day. Yeah. It's just insane. But the story that, that I broke um, as you mentioned, LA was on the fast track. I think it was going to be July 29th. 29th. They were going to go yep. back to forced indoor masking, which of course would mean every kid in school and all of us at a bunch of other things. But interestingly, within that, churches and gyms were not mentioned because a lot of churches and Godspeak included fought back yeah. against this and just kept, they sued, they kept doing services, and a lot of gym owners fought back. So they know, okay, well, these people are going to fight back. So we're just not going to instigate them again. So anyway, there are some stories that came out showing that, you know, out of the people in the hospital that have tested positive for COVID, only 10% of them were actually there for COVID. So these numbers were BS anyway. Right. And then my story comes out and Ferrer just completely says, I had nothing to do with a study. Why are they coming down on me? I don't have to do a conflict of interest form. It's like, you're throwing your daughter under the bus here, girl. That's not very cool. Uh, so then when the county supervisors saw that, they started talking, speaking out against Frere and saying, eh, you know, this kind of is a problem. Magically, the case numbers went down just in time for Frere to say, oh, we don't need to have this mask mandate. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's really what happened. (laughs) I think she knew that she's losing the support of her bosses who could take a vote and fire her at any minute. Yeah. Well, well, again, that's why I say you're doing the Lord's work. Thank you. Um, talk a little bit about the money motivation because that, Mm -hmm. that some of that stuff, I don't think people think about, um, but she essentially doesn't have to spend money out of her own budget. Right. Right. So this was a separate story. So once you start breaking these stories, then whistleblowers start coming to you because they say, oh, here's someone who actually will report on what's happening, unlike most journalists. So they started bringing me information from within the department. And what's been happening is when they have these mandates, then obviously restaurants, they really like to harass restaurants, um, nightclubs, other things like that. Uh, can get fined if they're not in compliance with this health officer order. So what Ferrer's been doing the whole pandemic is sending her investigators that normally would, you know, make sure that the food temperature is the right thing at a restaurant or other environmental things are safe, uh, sent them out to check for compliance with the health officer order and then obviously fine them if they're not. Then, so say you went today and your coffee shop was out of compliance and they come back in a week and it's still, you're still not following their order, they'll give you a daily fine 
for each day. So it adds up to be a lot. But she was billing these the, their time. So on their paycheck or pay uh, or their time card, <laughs> can't talk. Uh, they would bill that to the COVID fund. So it's mm-hmm. not her payroll money paying for their time. It's the COVID fund. And then they're getting in all this money and citations, millions of dollars. Right. So it's quite the grift. Yeah, and I'm sure they gave um, they gave themselves all bonuses. There uh, were some nice twenty thirty thousand dollar bonuses of her top lieutenants. Yeah, great site called Transparent California. You can go find all of their salaries, <laughs> and I, I'm using it to uh, to show how they've been enriching themselves. Yeah, and I think you know we're we're seeing and we're uncovering you know how many many people at the top during this time. I mean, there's huge wealth transfer. I mean, you talked about uh, restaurants. Well, restaurants are small businesses, right? And right. Restaurants have a lot of control, and those are the independent people, and those are the people that are not wanting to comply. Right. Well, trash their business, shut them down by government fiat. Um, you know, all the small little businesses that are competing against the targets and the big chains right. and things like that. Well, shut them down by government fiat. You had that huge transfer to big business, mm-hmm. um, and so we we see that right, and right. we talk about yeah, that. It wasn't the big businesses that went out during this? Yeah, it was the mom and pops. But we don't. But we don't think about the little dollars that get spread around to these petty bureaucrats and these people. Right. So you know, I mean, t- look, I'd take a twenty thousand dollar bonus for sure. But but you know that the that that stuff they're doing to reward the bureaucracy right. and reward the people that that played into this con which mm-hmm. is what it's turning out to be um <laughs> totally. yeah you don't you don't totally think about how much of it is really about the money yeah it's all about it and i i discovered a pattern last week and i think i might have discovered it after we recorded the show that fantastic <laughs> let's talk about this it has pattern to do with the state of emergency declaration so monkeypox has been the new thing right yes and so they um when it was first being talked about, of course, there's a huge gay population in West Hollywood in L.A. And since it's primarily affecting the gay community, that would be if you're going to put vaccination sites, wouldn't you put one in West Hollywood? Well, they don't have a big uh, facility there. L.A. Public Health doesn't. So they had it in Encino, which is, depending on what time of day, a 20 minute to like an hour and a half or two hour drive. So ways outside of Boys Town. <laughs> right. Uh, so they had people had to travel that far that were at risk. So as soon as the state of emergency declaration was issued on monkeypox, then automatically a pop-up clinic goes up in West Hollywood and all of these resources start getting devoted to monkeypox because guess what they can bill now? They can bill the emergency funds for that. And the other thing that occurred to me over the weekend is when she has more money in her budget and it's not used for that payroll, then she's going to do something with it, right? You never right. give it back. You never tell your the county, oh, hey, we didn't quite need all this you money. You better use you it know? or you'll lose exactly. it, Exactly. So how many dubious programs through public health are getting funded or granted because of this money? Because another thing uh, that I'll be breaking this week is this wasn't the first study that her daughter wrote that supported her mom's uh, interest. When they were in Boston and Barbara Ferrer was the director of the uh, Boston Public Health Commission. Her daughter was a student, grad student at Emerson College, a, a little liberal arts college up there, and was working with this thing they call eLeap, and it has to do with social media and teenagers and preventing dating violence and teaching and giving them resources to you know, do better with their lives, which is a noble thing. But of course, Caitlin and um, a woman who was her professor who curiously came to LA the same time the Ferrers did, uh, wrote a paper about 
the summer program and how successful it was and, and the feedback from the participants, the things they learned that are going to change their lives. And guess, you know, guess what? ELEAP was getting grants from Boston Public Health Commission to, to run it. So, and of course, there's no disclosure. Oh, hey, this is my mom. And Frere's in the videos that her daughter's making to promote stuff and no recognition. Hey, this is my mom helping me do this. They're all cons. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just insane. Wow. Um, what, what's her background? Ferrer's? Yeah. Um, we know she says she was born in Puerto Rico and she showed up at Antioch College at, in 1973 at age 17. She doesn't really highlight that. She glosses over her Ohio years, which is where she met her husband. Uh, but Antioch College in 1973 had a huge strike there on campus. Uh, the students barricaded in front of the entrance for six weeks. And basically, the college never recovered from that and closed down at some point. It's now reopened, but the enrollment went way down after that. And they were mad that kids like Barbara Ferrer, there was a program that uh, was getting minority kids or kids from outside of um, the mainland U.S., I guess, uh, Puerto Rican kids to come to this college because they felt bad that it was only rich white people getting an education there. But these kids weren't entirely sure that this scholarship was going to cover all four years, so they wanted assurances from the the college government that they were going to have all of that. Apparently, the college wasn't ready to guarantee that, so they shut everything down. But they did things like burning buildings on the campus, assaulting people. It wasn't just like your kumbaya standing in front of the door. It was pretty violent. And so then she and her husband went to Santa Cruz, and they both got the same degree and some kind of social justice thing. Yeah, so so she's a typical mm-hmm. left wing, um, you know, through and through. Oh uh, yeah. Which, which our government's been taken over by that, you know, Marxist leftist mentality, and so n- now, you know, as you start to get the you know clear picture of all of these folks <laughs> and see what they're doing, right. you know, in order to accumulate power, accumulate wealth through our government, through our bureaucracies, yeah, it's it's mind blowing to me. Well, she, um, her, she's not shy that her whole purpose is about affecting change for um, racial equity right? and having equity things. If, and we took over the weekend, some of us who have been researching her, we found different PowerPoints she'd used at presentations over the years, and it was cut and paste. She's just been saying the same thing for decades about racism is what the cause of everything is. And you can't go into a community and say, hey, you guys should eat better food and exercise and you know maybe not be promiscuous. She literally says in some of her newsletters here in LA County to not blame anyone individually for whatever public health issues are going on in a community because it is the cause uh, caused by racism. Yeah. And we should not ever hold anyone individually accountable, which is completely insane. Uh, I mean, yeah. I lived in rural North Carolina for 20 years and with our church there, um, a lot of times we had to minister in areas that were very poor, like the trailer parks, like where if it's winter, you feel that cold wind blowing through the trailer and helping people with um, vocational training, that kind of thing. There wasn't a difference in that trailer park between black, white, Mexican. They were all just as poor. They were all just as unable to get medical help, to have good playgrounds around. So if she wants to really talk about equity, let's really talk about equity and the component that poverty plays in that and not just only say because they're white, they're privileged. 
Yeah, no, it's it's absurd on its face. But again, that that whole game is being played because it's it's an easy way to divide people, mm-hmm. and you know they divide and conquer or divide and control, right. which is what all of it is. And in the minds of, because uh, I don't I don't really think that a lot of these lefty folks really believe that you know all of us are racist. You know? She does, but um, I'm sure that might. not all of them. Yeah. <laughs> She might, but a lot of them, I, I think they they know what they're doing, you right. know, and they know it's a convenient thing, which is why they can, with a straight face, you know, call uh, um, Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy, right. and you know things <laughs> like that. Um, t- uh, before we move on, is uh-huh. there anything else on Barbara Ferrer or this situation that you want to highlight, other than the fact that it at its core is always about money? It, and it's about racism. And I think as going to the money, the more things that she can label a public health problem, mm-hmm. then the more money she gets into her coffers. So like the, when yeah. George Floyd was killed, died, whatever, yeah. <laughs> however you want to look at it, she put out a newsletter saying that law enforcement violence is a public health problem right. that needs to be addressed through public health means. Yeah, there was something else, um, and maybe you can help me remember. There's something that that they called a public health issue that they tried to get a little traction on that that I remember being really surprised by. Um, anyway, it'll maybe yeah. it'll come to me in a moment, and and realizing that that's the game that they play mm-hmm. because I was like, wait a second, that has nothing to do with public health. But then you have to have a department. If yeah, it's a public health, problem. and you can hire a bunch of people, right. and then you can you know get, yeah get get more money into your little coffers, and then you grow more power. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is, is, you know, if she's able to wield all of this wealth, um, you know, then she wields influence and power. Right. Yeah. While looking like Skeletor. Uh, I, I'm still, and I know you've, uh, you've probably seen um, some of these health ministers around the world seem to be the least healthy people on the planet. And it right. always blows Whether me they're away. super obese or a skeleton like her. <laughs> Yeah, Either like way. I mean, she looks like she hasn't seen the sun, or uh, you mm-hmm. know, she has some kind of gray, sickly like, come on, you pallor. Live in LA yeah, she should summer. walk outside. Right. Maybe she doesn't know that vitamin D can help with COVID. She might not even know. She might not. Yeah, we should tell her. Somebody, would you guys tell her that? Um, yeah. Well, I want to talk about you a little bit, which okay. we didn't get to do in round one <laughs> because we were so excited about this issue, and I'm still excited about it, but. Um, you broke the Katie Hill story. Right. Um, you've you've done really some amazing things, and Thank I know you. you have probably um, you know yet to do your most amazing things. So they're probably coming. <laughs> but uh, talk about your background a little bit and how you got to be where you're at and how you got into this. Sure. So, um, born and raised in LA. I'm born in the Torrance area, raised in Ventura County in Simi Valley. Went off to Boston University for college. Um, got married before graduating and then lived in North Carolina for 20 years where I raised, mostly raised my three boys. My youngest was eight when I moved back here to uh, Southern California. But when I was there, I was a court stenographer. So in the courtroom, uh, I was the court reporter for more than 30 first degree murder cases. And they sent me around North Carolina and most of them capital cases. And so I saw a lot of sadness and heartache and uh, when that's all you're doing is murder cases, which is what I did for a lot of years. yeah, times that, that I would emotional just control yeah like toll. especially when there's kid victims and you have kids at home like wow. there are times I'd be crying on the way into court just not wanting to see the mother but anyway what that taught me was watching for 20 years detectives put together cases that I think is what really uh trained me for investigative journalism 
because I saw all of the things, all of the things that they had to cross off the list too. It's not just finding proof of what you are trying to, to prove. It's looking through, okay, is there another way this can be explained mm-hmm. and looking for those too. Uh, then I, when I came back here, uh, my dad had had a stroke and so I came back to help with him and was going through a divorce at the time. So it just all worked out, but I started working in political consulting and doing opposition research. And so one of the things that we would do with that and with helping our candidates message is, okay, if I'm, um, let's just say Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, and I'm looking at Bryce's candidate statement, how am I going to tear that apart? Like looking at it through their lens. Right. So when I do these investigative stories that are usually three or four parts, because it's too much to put in one piece, I'm reading through it going, okay, if I want to attack the credibility of this, how can I do it? And then try to make it bulletproof. And I think that's why, you know, knock on wood, that none of my stories have had to have retractions or corrections because I'm making sure that happens before I publish. Yeah. Yeah, the mainstream media doesn't have to do that. (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) And even if I use an unnamed source, they're going, oh, well, you know, that's just an anonymous source. Like, suddenly it's bad. Yeah, they do it all the time, right. I tell my bosses in general, you know, I don't share names, so that they're comfortable that what I'm publishing is not just a fever dream, but you know, no one else is held to that standard. Yeah, no, it's amazing the the standard that they actually hold to real journalists right. now. Um, but I think people are figuring it out. You know, mm-hmm. I think more and more people are understanding. I I, I saw something recently that I, I think our mainstream corporate media has like a favorability rating of like. 16% or something. So more and more people are, are waking up. It's not the time of Walter Cronkite or any of those where, you, oh, that was like right. know, gospel. Uh, what they were saying was true. And, you know, and everybody kind of had that faith in them right. um, back, you know, when I was a little kid, you know. Well, even some of them are starting to realize they saw something over the weekend that Brian Stelter talking about the Hunter Biden laptop and story that he's starting to realize that, hey, this wasn't handled the right way or credibly like we should have actually paid attention here okay you're a little late to the party but yeah welcome (laughs) yeah that's amazing well we're gonna take a really quick uh, break for a sponsor and we're gonna come right back and keep going awesome okay in our in this little pause here is there anything that uh you want to tease and and you know hit as far as the break i do want to talk about the the boston okay yeah because i I haven't published that yet okay good good yeah um (laughs) I, I do want to uh, hear some of the Katie Hill stuff because okay. I didn't prior to you and I said I, I didn't realize or didn't make the connection okay. that, that was you um, because you're a hero for that one too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Tell the California GOP. <laughs> yeah. All right. We are back here with Jennifer Van Lahr, Red State investigative journalist and superhero. Thank you. Yeah. So now you... Um, uh, one of the things that you did break was the Katie Hill story. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd love to hear about how that came about because you, you really are, um, you're a treasure for <laughs> uh, you. what you did there. And again, I know that there's other things that are in your quiver that you're working on. Um, so tell me a little bit about how that all went down. I'll tell you what I can tell you. Yeah. Now, I mean, luckily there's not legal issues now. Like the, she sued me yeah. and that was dismissed. She still owes me uh, about $85,000 in legal fees, but she declared bankruptcy. Yeah, of course. Luckily, I have an attorney who's not going to sue me for that. <laughs> so Harmeet Dillon was an amazing oh, yeah. attorney. Um, Very she, amazing. She created new case law with that because there had never been, uh, California's revenge porn statute had never been litigated. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
she was able to create new case law for that that specifically protects the First Amendment and journalists. Yeah. And because this was a public interest. But basically, I was looking into, um, I'm not sure how many people know, but Katie Hill was the executive director yeah, of get, PATH. Yeah, so so give give the, give the kind of the whole story, because okay. we, we do have a national audience, and this yeah. was you know very locally people focused. Kind of, I mean, well, people, yeah, people, people might think Thruple and Katie Hill, and that's really all they know. Yeah, but no, but the, <laughs> but the story's bigger than that. So, yeah. yeah. So she was kind of this up-and-coming, the new it girl of California politics, and she uh, defeated Congressman Steve Knight in 2018. Yeah. Um, she was like the AOC right, on the West right. Coast. Exactly. You're having her uh, campaign videos with her out rock climbing and all that kind of thing. So, And I had worked for Congressman Knight and helped him get elected the first time. So kind of knew all the players. So I, someone had told me, look into corruption at PATH, which is People Assisting the Homeless, which Katie was the executive director of before she ran for Congress. She's only like 32, I think. So she was making really good money doing this in the homeless industrial complex. So I start looking into this. Um, she was actually paying her husband for work that he didn't do and billing a VA contract for that. And still still fighting to get those documents because that was really what the story was going to be yeah, about. I want to I go off on a quick tangent uh-huh. because you said the, the homeless industrial complex. Uh-huh. And, um, and I love that because people don't realize how much money is made in these problems. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that they do not... Uh, solve these problems. There's also a reason that they use the euphemism of homeless mm-hmm. because it's it's then something that you can't really solve, right? Right. If you identify something by what it really is, right. then you have the you know if you correctly define it, then you know all right, this is what we need to to solve. Exactly. Um, and and we know that it's um, mental uh, issues mm-hmm. and drug addiction and all of that is why these people are out on the street. It's not because right. they don't have apartment keys. So anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to, <laughs> I to could touch go off on, on a whole episode about that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we will someday really cruel to these people. Yeah. That maybe. Using. Yeah. Maybe we will yeah. um, talk about that someday. Cause that is a fascinating subject. And, um, so these activists mm-hmm. that get involved in these not for profits that are atta- uh, addressing the homelessness issues and things like that mm-hmm. are making bank. Oh yeah. I think her, she was making close to 200,000. Yeah. And they, they don't want the problem to go away right. because it totally wrecks their grift. Absolutely. And they don't really care about the people. Right. Because otherwise they wouldn't be acting the way they are. So I was looking into that when I was, uh, there was a uh, drive of information that made its way to me. Wonderful. Is the way that I'm trying to. Yeah. Whistleblowers, you're out there. Thank you. Uh, So when I'm looking through there, it had these, um, a bunch of texts, um, screenshots between her and this girl that was um, on her campaign and her husband and, you know, between all of the various factions and then these photos, um, some of which were quite graphic that I didn't publish that evidenced a sexual relationship between her and the girl that was her employee. And also that basically she, her husband and this girl were in a committed three-way marriage, I guess, called a thruple. And they were living together as this whole, thing i think they call it polyamory polyamory uh so but then when katie goes to washington she decides she wants to have fun there and might have a little nymphomania type of issue and she breaks up with both her husband and the girl who are both living in the same house in california 
Yeah. And so now the girl's trying to figure out what she wants to do. But the thing is, she keeps the girl on her payroll. She was a campaign staffer until the time I broke the story. And being forced to, like, there were texts from the girl saying, look, when you were in the district this weekend and we went to this event, like, you made me put sunscreen on you, like, touching your body. And I'm not comfortable with that because of we're not in that relationship anymore. I don't want to be, you know, doing that. But I can't say no in front of everybody. And... So calling out, that's like a sexual harassment issue, right. I mean, a legit sexual harassment issue. And she's still, Katie's still the boss. This girl was still getting paid by the campaign. So I see this and there was stuff about she was missing flights because she was too drunk and just overslept or didn't get there. Um, having erratic behavior because of this, that there was a toxic environment within her entire office. And so I thought this is all stuff that can easily, not only is her judgment completely not in the right place. This is stuff that if I know this and how many other people have this information, she can be blackmailed. Right. And so then uh, she was a vice chair of oversight and they were looking at another impeachment of Trump. Um, or maybe it was the first impeachment. Um, all the COVID years kind of make everything (laughs) (laughs) run together. It all gets fuzzy now. Right. So then Elijah Cummings, who was the chair dies. And I think, Oh my gosh, this woman is going to be the chair of this and heading up the impeachment. Like, and she's so compromised. So I started publishing the stories and eventually I had no idea that it would turn out the way it did because most of the time conservatives publish things on corruption, like the stuff with Eric Swalwell. Yeah. He's sleeping with a Chinese spy and he's still on the intelligence committee. It's unbelievable. You know, I didn't, ha- in my wildest dreams, I didn't think she would uh, resign in nine days. <laughs> Well, good job. Thank you. Yeah, no, she was a she was a pretty um, wicked actor all yeah, think, the way around. I think so. the death threats are, are worth it. I mean, there's nothing like yeah. waking up on vacation and having people text you screenshots of a tweet from one of her former employees saying that he's just been to a gun show and bought a gun and he's going to go blow John Van Lar's head off her shoulders. Yeah. That's a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, listen, um, when you're out there doing this sort of stuff, that is part of it, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it it doesn't happen nearly uh, to the same extent if you're on the other side, um, because you know conservatives don't generally do that. I right. mean, you know, we've got wing nuts on you know both groups of folks and both tribes, right? And unfortunately, we are so divided now um, that that you've lost like the people even in the middle these days, right? Um, but but yeah, that's not our game. Mm-mm. And um, and if it were our game, we would be being thrown in jail, you know, left and right, right. for those threats. Whereas these other folks, oftentimes they just dismiss that. Did mm-hmm. anything come of any of those threats? Or no, thank goodness. Yeah. The, uh, but well, unfortunately, but I mean, did did any of them get um, yeah. in trouble for it? Um, not in trouble, but I did have to file police reports. Yeah, because one of the guys lived not too far from my brother. Right, and was thinking if this, if he figures out that my brother lives near him, like that could be an issue. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm well. Listen, I'm glad you were courageous and brave, and you know, did the right thing anyway. Thanks. Yeah. I'm just stubborn like that. I don't. I don't know any other way to be, and that could be a problem. But yeah. so far, it's turned out okay. So, what else are you working on? Anything else that we can tease? Yeah, actually, and it's not really in the investigative journalist uh, wheelhouse, but it is in the writing wheelhouse. So, it is pretty interesting how I came about the Katie Hill story, but there's a lot of it that I can't share, even if I were to write a book or a movie. There's also a lot of things I learned about that campaign and things in her life that I couldn't publish because I didn't have enough sourcing behind it, but I'm Mm -hmm. confident in it. Also, in my years as a political consultant, I saw a lot of the bad stuff on our side, too, and learned a lot of dirt 
on all sides. So what I'm working on as a way to hopefully be able to pay my attorney someday uh, is a streaming series that I have a friend that's helping me get in front of Netflix about uh, where it's about a character loosely based on me as an investigative journalist and within this area of California that used to be so um, Western and, you know, horse ranches and that kind of thing and, and dealing with the changes of encroaching suburbia and how that affects everything politically. And so this character based on me breaks the story of the Katie Hill thing, but obviously fictionalized. Right. And then kind of follows her as she's uh, trying to just take down corrupt people on both sides and the yeah. heat that she gets from both sides for that and kind of the... You know, you, you go into this thinking, uh, I can change the world. I can do things. And there ha I have been able to make changes and things, and that's rewarding. But we all know this is just an evil world overall. Yeah. And that overall, there's been these issues since day one on this earth. And there's going to be issues like that as long as this world is in existence. And at some point, you have to come to a peaceful mindset that I'm going to do everything I can for the things that are good and holy and righteous. But at the same time, accept that as much success as I can have in that, it's still not going to change the trajectory of everything. And so just the character arc goes through that. So we've got like two and a half seasons kind of outlined out. That's cool. And I'm really excited about that. That's great. Um, hopefully, I don't know if it's Netflix. Somebody needs to pick it up. <laughs> hey, talk, talk to Daily Wire and talk to, um, you know, I mean, I'm not kidding. Talk, yeah, talk well, to I don't, some, know, how, a lot I don't of, know how my employer at Salem would feel about that. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Sorry, Maybe guys. They need to Sorry. option it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that, yeah, that's a, that's but a good But I would idea. like to get it on a mainstream kind of um, streaming service just because I think that it's, especially since I'm talking about in general, it's not just hammering liberals or hammering conservatives. It's it's about truth and justice. Yeah, and, and I think we need to um, keep that in mind that, yeah, the, the corruption exists everywhere, and we need to, even if it's just just because it's on our team doesn't mean it's good and you know vice right. versa um you the know. little evil part of me wants to write the things that i know about katie close enough to the truth that if she watches it she's like oh she knows about that oh no yeah <laughs> just write a book like oj did if i did right it. right <laughs> this is all hypothetical if i talk to katie hill's former employees this is what they might have told me <laughs> yeah yeah no, that would be funny um well, but uh, I am, go you know, going to uh, what I said, though, a minute ago, there are more um, conservative outfits that are out there now that are starting to do content mm -hmm. for all of us, like restoring back to things that don't have, you know, um, woke ideology, right. you don't have to compromise. Um I do think it's interesting that, that Netflix um, kind of reversed course mm -hmm. on a lot of that and told their woke staffers to go pound right. sand. We're going to be you know, publishing and putting <laughs> out things that you aren't all going to love, Right. Uh, which is great. And I hope that signifies more of that for the future so that you know, good projects can be produced. I hope so, because in, I mean, in general, I know we're not talking about entertainment, but it's so boring to look at the streaming services now because so many things are just a slightly different version of another yeah. show that's on there. So having a lot more diversity might actually yeah. make things entertaining again. I know I, the struggle is real. Let me tell you, because you know, I have all, all this freedom this week. Uh, I mean, I work like a maniac, but, uh, <laughs> but my family is in Colorado uh. and, uh, my, my daughters and my wife are at a, um, a discipleship, um, uh, training course nice. at a college in, uh, 
in Colorado, and uh, I, I'm I can't find anything I want to watch. It's so mm-hmm. terrible. I feel like uh, all the good books have already been read by me, right. and uh, all the good shows have already been watched. So yeah, so I'm eagerly awaiting. Thank yours. you. Yeah. Well, anything else in the uh, remaining few minutes that we have that uh, you want to talk about or um, hit our audience with? Hmm. There's got to be something else. You can <laughs> tease. I just so- feel like well, I, mean, I know you have so many. Well, I mean, part of this stuff, um, something that will hit L.A. County. I know that people are more national, but... You know, Ferrer also hired a, a well. Listen, the way the way California goes. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad right. you brought that up. The way California goes, though, so does a lot of the rest of the nation. So oh, yeah. that's the, this is the front line. So although we do have a you know national audience, they appreciate that it's it's coming. Right. So yeah, it's definitely coming because especially you see Kamala Harris in the White House, Javier Becerra. Yeah. Um, the Labor Secretary is a failed. Um, person from california julie sue yeah uh it's all <laughs> and they're gonna try to put gavin newsom in so. <laughs> oh gosh yeah. uh, not if i can help it um so Ferrer had hired a convicted felon who had been convicted of public corruption type charges uh-huh. to be one of her communications people you know because you can just stick the people who aren't very bright in communications <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> or or me, I don't know. Well, I already know I'm not that bright, but so it's okay. But he's in there, and he's kind of done, you know, pay for play, influence things before. But the part of public health that he's communications for is where all these inspectors work. So you're sending out these inspectors, you know, then and he's basically saying that you're going to have quotas of of these citations you're supposed to issue. But he's in a place where the uh, preferred restaurateurs can maybe make a little deal with him oh hey you know you're not going to send him to this place in santa monica right uh, i don't have any proof that he's done that yet but it's definitely why would you why would you hire someone fresh like fresh out of jail this isn't 20 years ago this was nine months after he gets off probation putting him in this position paying almost two hundred thousand dollars a year wow that's a lot of money for that role but we know why because yeah you know, as i've said before her bosses are the board of supervisors five people three votes and she's gone Mark Ridley Thomas, who's now uh, back on L.A. City Council, but also under indictment for corruption, uh, he had a, a legal counsel, a female that is uh, married to or the baby mama of this convicted felon's kid. So he gets out of jail. She says, oh, my man needs a job. He needs to be putting some money on the table. Um, has her boss go to Ferrer. Hey, you got a job for this guy? And, of course, Ferrer wanting to keep her bosses happy. Sure, I'll, I'll just pay him 200 grand right here. Wow, unbelievable. Um, nice work if you can it, get it, right? It makes, yeah, it makes sense, though, um, because this does keep coming back around to, to money. Mm-hmm. And and the corruption that is so evident in all of these things. Oh, I yeah. mean, the, the, this this guy's going out and he's wielding the power to shut your business down, shut your restaurant down, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, you know, listen, th- thank God we have, uh, you know, e- even here in our local community, people that resisted that and accumulated all kinds of fines mm-hmm. and, <laughs> you know, fought like mad. Some of them, they've been dismissed. Some of them are still having fines, mm-hmm. you know, over their heads. Um, how, how can How can we expose more of this? Well, if people are in a position to have any information on this, uh, find a good local investigative journalist and get them that information. How do, um, because there are people that are listening that probably do have information that Mm -hmm. you might like. How do they get a hold of you? And if there's whistleblowers that are listening to this, um, you know, how do we direct them your way? 
So go to redstate.com, find me on the author page, and I've got an email listed right there. You can send me the, a secure email. Okay, good. Yeah, you hear it, whistleblowers. Let's not let these people get away with it while they're making you know a couple hundred grand and wrecking people's businesses. Exactly. Anything else you want to say to our uh, our crew and audience? Thank you for listening to this. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, so um, thank you so much for um, listening to this episode of our show with Jennifer Van Lahr, superhero of Red State, investigative journalist out there doing the Lord's work. Thank you for um, hanging out with us, Jen, and appreciate Anytime. you. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Good night.